Greetings, friends. Here we are at the beginning of another month, April. And so what we like to do at the beginning of the month is rather than continue through the Bible, is just stop, pause, reflect, and encourage ourselves to keep going on. So I want to do that again this month, as we have been doing. I, uh, it's Monday, which means it's after the Lord's Day. And usually I have this recorded much earlier, but it's in the evening now of Monday. And uh, just <laughs> it's taken a bit of time to get around to this and even to get the house quiet enough to record as well. So I had a good Lord's Day. Hope you had as well. It's always a long day for the pastor. My day begins around five or six in the morning. And I'm usually not asleep until after midnight. In fact, I don't know if I'm really ever asleep before midnight. So it's usually an 18, 19 hour day. And in the middle of that, three teaching uh, sessions, a Bible class, morning service, evening service, all of them different passages, different sermons. So it entails a lot, not just the preparation leading up, but the recall, retention, keeping the flow of thought, trying to keep going for, you know, 50, 55 minutes and make sense, (laughs) which I hope I do most of the time. Anyway, it's an honor. Thank the God for the privilege and want to encourage you. So again, uh, keep going on. And I want to think about it in a little more instructive way today because I was thinking about the fact that many times when we deal with this kind of subject of family worship and raising our children, all of that, we we think about, well, I need to have family worship. Or someone comes to me and say, well, things are, there are difficulties in the home. And I ask, is there family worship? And maybe talk about some other things. And if it's not there, then we instruct and guide and say, look, here's how to go about it. It's relatively easy, generally. Now, some exceptions to that, if uh, you're dealing with older children and they have never done anything like this and they're hesitant or resistant to it, it can be challenging. But generally, this is easier than some other aspects of just doing the right thing. One of the challenges as a pastor is knowing that, well, people may have all these things, right? They, 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 they have family worship, they, they send their kids to a Christian school, they homeschool, they, I don't know, they have all the things that they've been told they should do and they've, they've done it, right? They have done what they're meant to do. And then lo and behold, the kids are coming into their teenage years and they're kicking and they're rebelling and they're fighting and they're going in the wrong direction. And there's this whole, why, why is this happening? And, and there are different reasons that can be given, right? Obviously. But what's really hard as a pastor sometimes is being able to understand what's actually happening in the home. So 
You can say, well, we do family worship and we come to church twice on the Lord's Day and we go to prayer meeting and we do this and that and the other and there's all these things that they do. But then there's the side I don't see and the side that doesn't come to the fore. And this, these are the things that don't need to be added in. They need to be taken out. They need to be removed. And so... In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Provoke not your children to wrath. Whatever it is that you're doing that provokes them to wrath needs to be removed, needs to be dealt with. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. There are things, as you keep going on, which I hope you do, you keep diligent in the path that you're meant to be on, that you assess whether there are things that are hindering the cultivation of the good. So, looking at these texts and considering them and just musing over this today, I came up with a few points which I'm going to go through briefly. <laughs> Lord, help me. Um, the text we looked at, Ephesians 6.4, Colossians 3.21, they both address fathers. Now, there's application to moms, and maybe moms are the ones that need to hear this as much as anyone, but I want us to think about seven points. Seven points. Can I do this quickly? Let's see. <laughs> seven points in the form of an acrostic. So I'm taking the word fathers, right? Fathers, because both texts address fathers, and fathers provoke children. They discourage children, right? We do this. Okay. Number one, favoritism. We can't have favoritism. If we have favoritism towards one of our children or a couple of our children or all but one of our children, there's going to be problems. We know this. Even from the workplace, we know this. If we see someone receiving some kind of favoritism, it angers even adults. So what do we expect is going to happen to our children? If they detect that there are favorites and they're not the favorite, it is going to crush their spirits, discourage them, and make them deaf to the words and instruction that we give them. So, there can't be favoritism. Two, absenteeism. And not being present. Now, sometimes we can, you know, expect too much. I think sometimes there are wives that expect their husbands to provide the income that they need to live a comfortable life and be there all the time. <laughs> it's simply, it can't be done. Like, you just can't, you, you, you know, if you're, if you're such a wife hearing me now, be realistic. One of the primary things a husband must do is to provide. If any man provide not for his own, is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. So this is one of the key areas. So he cannot... And, and, there may be some idealistic scenarios in which some husbands have this kind of perfect job that they're able to be there all the time as well as provide. Most people aren't in those in that position. So let's be realistic. But when you're there, be there, right? Try to have the phone off or ignore the phone, put it on silent when you're at dinner. Try to listen when the children come to you and show you their pictures, show you a new thing they learned with a sport that they're engaged with. Um, whatever it is, just be present. Be present. Don't be negligent. Don't ignore. Don't 
minimize. Don't act like it's not important. It may seem so small, that picture from your three-year-old, but that it's it's something they did and perhaps they're showing you it because you're in it and it's <laughs> they are so pleased with what they did and you need to be pleased too. So absenteeism can crush the spirit of our children. We're not there. We're not listening. It's not helping. Three, turbulent. <sighs> Men, we, we cannot be turbulent. We are to be calm, dependably calm. It is not commendable to easily fly off the handle. It is not a characteristic or trait that helps when we are those that cause anxiety in our wives and in our children. And that's what happens. When we're turbulent, when they feel like they have to walk around in eggshells because we're easily angered, we are impatient, just generally lack stability, unpredictable. If those words fit for us, we're causing problems and they have to be eliminated. Men shouldn't be these changeable characters. They should be stable. And part of that stability comes from a real faith rooted in the true and living God and his word that knows that God is in control and when the whole world seems to be caving in, you're coming into the home. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not we fear though the earth be removed and the mountains carried into the midst of the sea and so on. You're to exhibit that kind of faith. Now, you can go into your study or into your car and weep and cry and, and break down and show anxiety towards God. Go ahead, but before your children, be strong. Don't inculcate, don't communicate, don't spread a kind of anxiety because you're turbulent. Four, hypocritical. I don't think I need to say much here. The hypocrite does so much damage. So we have double standards. Our children can see that what we are at church is different than what we are at home. And if we're in teaching roles, roles of responsibility as elders, as deacons, teaching Sunday school, in street ministry or in some other evangelistic effort, if, if we're something out there in the world and we're something different at home, again, our words begin to fall flat on their face. They don't, don't accomplish anything. So, repent. Exacting is the fifth thing, exacting. This is where we can never be pleased, hypercritical, and more to the point, we haven't assessed where our children are. We're expecting a three-year-old to be like a seven-year-old. We have not properly understood their capabilities and where they are. And it's not just about ability. It also includes emotionally their makeup. Maybe some of your children you can tease you can sort of have a joke with them. They laugh and they think it's funny. Dad's funny. Others take it really personally and they they don't respond well. Now, you might say, well, just be like, you know, why aren't you more like your sister? Why aren't you more like your brother? That Listen, you're the adult. You're the adult. You have to grow up into the position you're in. Don't provoke. I mean, this text 
is addressing the excuse that you're likely to give. Oh, you know, I was just having fun. No, you weren't. You're provoking. So stop being exacting. That is demanding above and beyond what you ought. As we teach our children, as we instruct our children, we're always sort of aiming just a little higher than where they are. You take a you take literature, for example, they break up well-known works of literature into grade level. Every time it's the vocabulary, the sentence structure and everything is to just stretch them a little, it's to be a little above, causing them to work harder, to think, but they're still able to do it. They're still able to reach it. It's not completely out of reach. When we're exacting, we're putting things out of reach and we crush, we discourage our children. Six, retributive. I use that word in terms of punishment. We, we punish our children. This is not our place. No, no. We are not to punish our children. We are to discipline our children and to reward. Discipline is instructional. It is by example, and it is, of course, with the rod at times when there is need for that kind of correction. But it is all designed to develop the character, to lead them in the right path. It's it's not punishment. If you have in your mind a sense of punishment, you're discouraging your child. You're actually taking the place of God, taking a, a role, a, a place in terms of your authority that God has not given to you. You're creating a hell for your child instead of a schoolroom, instead of an environment of learning, instead of helping create in them a hope and um, strength and everything else. So, so don't, don't be retributive. Don't be punishing. You're not punishing. They don't need punished. They need discipled. They need taught. They need instructed. So... Again, we can discourage them and provoke them through this. And then lastly, somber. Somber. I, I use this word deliberately because there are a lot of different S words that could have come in there and that could have dealt with. But one of the worst things we can do is, is we set a tone for the home. Whether you have realized that yet or not, here's the wake up call. You set the tone of the home. Happy homes set by happy dads, right? Dads who easily laugh, create a light atmosphere. I'm not saying no, don't be sober. The Bible calls us to be sober. The men are to be grave and sober and so on. But this isn't that. This is somber. This is where people don't want to laugh, don't want to smile, don't feel like they can smile. They are caged emotionally by your presence because you're so you're so down you're so depressive you're so you just change the atmosphere you change the atmosphere so it's this somber atmosphere if you do that children won't listen to you children like happy people they do children like to be happy they love to laugh they love to play it's great and it needs to it's not to be suppressed. It's not to be, if there's silliness, yes, we need to address silliness, but not to crush this happy, enjoyable season of their life where they're full of optimism and hope and excitement. 
that's good. That's that helps them to learn. It's actually that 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 when they can they're easily excited means that they can learn because you can easily excite them for things so that they learn things in a frame of positivity. If you're somber and you bring a somber tone into the home, forget it. Forget it. You're just you're creating a rod for your own back. So these are the seven things. Fathers. Favoritism, absenteeism, turbulent, hypocritical, exacting, retributive, somber. Maybe you can commit them, commit them to memory. Might help you. But brothers, let's keep in the trenches. Keep going on through April. Keep doing the next right thing. And beseech heaven to bless our labours because there's so much chaff in it, isn't there? Isn't there? There's so much chaff. Oh, think of the chaff and so much of our work. But may we be humble. God resists the proud. Those who think, I can do all this myself. Well, off you go, buddy boy. But he gives grace to the humble. And that's that's where the work, real work is done. So anyway, God bless you. And uh, keep going on and give us your feedback. And just another little reminder, share it. Share this. Share this specific video. Send it to the dad you know to encourage them in what they're doing. Maybe it's the very word they need today. So God bless you.